When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Okay, Hollywood, it's the end of January, and it's the start of 2023, which means we have a whole new album series to go this year. We're doing things a little bit differently. In the past couple years, we've focused on a single band and picked 12 studio albums from that band and gone through them. This year, it's going to be a whole lot different. This year, we're celebrating the 40th anniversary for some albums that... Well, either one of us likes or both of us likes, but it's one or the other, right? Isn't that how this series is going to go? Yeah, I think after we got to slang and euphoria and (laughs) some stuff we didn't want to listen to, it's like, oh, there's got to be a better way. Yeah, so with this series, the great thing is it's going to be something different every month. The other thing is is that we're kind of getting outside of the hard rock and metal box every so often. Now, we're starting off this series with something that is very much in the grown-up rock vein of hard rock, but throughout the course of the year, we're going to visit some albums that we like that maybe aren't necessarily hard rock or metal, and as we've talked about many times before, we like a whole lot of different music, and a lot of the listeners like a whole lot of different music, and it's not like we're visiting country albums. We're doing very much rock and roll albums but just not necessarily hard rock or metal. And like all the other series in the past, we're always going to bring along a friend to kind of mediate the disagreement, should I say. And are we going to bring a friend on that actually has the technology to be on or? Well, judging from this first guest, my guess is hopefully it can only go 
uphill from here because <laughs> it was a pain in the ass just getting this person online. But you know him, you love him. He's been here many times before. Our friend Steve Wright, Wrighty from the Potter and Hell podcast will be joining us tonight. Wrighty, what's going on, baby? Nothing. I just finally got the uh, rope tied to the cans so I could hear you guys now. Wrighty, you're on mute. Hey, Righty, oh, you're on mute. Am I, am I really? You're on mute. Get off of mute. Hit the mute button. I'm kidding. You were <laughs> killing me already. I knew you were screwing with me. I'm like, what? Yeah, I did have a little technical difficulty, so uh, shut up, Pody. Hello, everybody. <laughs> the jerk store called. They're out of view. <laughs> That's okay. Sony's their all-time seller. Best seller. Exactly. God. So, Righty. Why don't you tell the listeners what album we've chosen for this first episode of the series that is celebrating 40 years? We are doing Crocus Headhunter from 1983. Crocus Headhunter from 1983. So Sonny and I both split up the picks. And what's going to happen is Sonny got five picks and I got five picks. And then with the final two picks of the year... We are going to give the listeners a list of albums, and they're going to choose what the final couple of albums we review are. Sonny's going to be putting out a post on the Grown Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook page, and everybody is going to vote. And from that vote, we will decide what the final two records are going to be. I think one's going to be in October and one in December, if I'm remembering correctly. So it's albums that are celebrating 40th anniversaries. They've been around. They were released in 1983. So quite a while ago, I was still in high school at that point in time. And you were still in high school in 1973. It was a long high school year. That's not true, man. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you like it so much you want to stay 10 more years. Uh, well, yeah, I would have done that. That is true. That part is true. <laughs> but, but I did graduate. So, you know, I got that going for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, before we get too far into this, Righty, tell us a little bit about your podcast in case somebody has been sleeping under the rock and just joined the podcast for the first time for this album series. Yeah. Pot on the Hell podcast. I do it with uh, my two buddies, BB and BC and my son, Dylan. Dylan does all the uh, technical work. And as Sonny, as you know, that um, he's not here tonight. So that's why I'm talking to you from my iPad. And <laughs> But uh, we do all hard rock and metal, and uh, we're pretty close in line to you guys with numbers of episodes, and we'll be uh, rocking our 300th episode this spring. That's it. And like I said, if you've listened to the Growing Up Rock podcast for any length of time or the Potter and Hell podcast, we both have crossed over to each other's uh, podcast many, many times. Both Sonny and I and Steve and several of the guys on his podcast have been over here. So that's what we do. Just a good set of friends that we've met along the way from doing this podcast thing. And uh, both passionate about rock and roll in general. So, Steve, did Sonny present Headhunter to you and you picked it? Or how did you end up on this particular episode? Yeah, he gave me a couple different albums to choose from. And, and to be honest with you, I forget what the other ones were. And as soon as I saw Crocus Headhunter, I knew I had to pick this one. And uh, we'll find out why as we go along. And I'm glad that I'm getting to be on an episode with a Sonny pick. Well, this isn't a Sonny pick. This one's mine. No, I know that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, this is not a record that Sonny would pick. Although I think Sonny is a casual Crocus fan, but we'll find out more about that as we go along. 
before we get too deep in the sticks with this thing, Steve Wright, tell me your history with the Headhunter record. All right. Uh, the Headhunter record, I actually had hardware and one vice at a time before I had this one. They came on my radar. I was watching TV one night at, at the house. USA Network had some kind of show where they had bands playing in clubs and Crocus was playing. They were touring for the One Vice at a Time album. And I remember checking that out. So once I, after I saw that, I went out, I picked up that album and hardware. And then when Headhunter came out, I was like, got to get it. And um, it's been a staple of my listening since 1983. That's awesome. So for me, I think that Headhunter was the first record that I got by Crocus. I probably found out about them either in a magazine, most likely through a magazine, and as soon as I got Headhunter, I want to say that I went and picked up hardware and one vice at a time. And I remember not being that thrilled with the first couple of records. I think Metal Rendezvous and Hardware were just kind of okay. They really struck a chord with me with one vice at a time. I really enjoyed one vice at a time uh, because that was sort of more, more in line with their ACDC phase, I think. Uh, and then Headhunter hit. And I had the opportunity to see Crocus on the Headhunter tour opening up for Def Leppard on the Pyrania tour. And that's the when I really kind of sunk in and became a huge fan. So Headhunter for me is definitely my favorite Crocus album, bar none. And we'll go through that as we get to it. Sonny, what's your history with the Headhunter record or Crocus in general? Uh, let me ask you a question first. Supposedly, there's a story that they got kicked off the Pyromania tour because Mark did something stupid. Is that right? Do we know about this story? That I don't know about. I can tell you that when I saw them, it was really, really early in the tour because Def Leppard had just left the Billy Squire tour. And I want to say they were really only about maybe less than a month into the Pyromania tour. And it was... It was Def Leppard Crocus and a Jimi Hendrix clone named John Butcher Axis. And that was the, the bill early on. And I've talked about that on the podcast before, but uh, that was the show I got to see. And so I don't know if they ended up getting kicked off that tour or not. Righty, yeah. you know anything about that? I, I heard a couple of things, but I, I don't really remember the details. And um, I didn't get to see them until, until the Blitz tour. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. I, I had heard that, that they did get thrown off it, but I'm not sure why or what, you know what I mean? But uh, I'm not surprised to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So my history with Crocus, I'm watching MTV and just, you know, you're waiting for your bands to show up on MTV. Mm -hmm. And as I'm doing something or whatever, I pick up in my ears. I'm like, what in the hell is that? <laughs> and I went, I went to go look at it on the TV, but the video was ending. So I'm like, okay, I, I, I guess I missed it. And when I heard it again was a couple of days later on MTV and it was a screaming in the night video. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my God, that guy could sing. And I was getting, you know, white snake and Motley Crue and rad and you know, all those guys. So, and that video was on forever. We're talking we're, I'm 87, 88 by this time. Mm -hmm. So I guess the video had been out there forever. I didn't know who the hell Crocus was. I mean, we're going to, they didn't open for anybody I saw. So I didn't know anything about Crocus. So I see this video and I'm like, oh, well, let me go see if I can find like that single or because that's your only choices, right? There's no iTunes. There's nothing. So I couldn't find like a cassette single or nothing. So I bought the stayed awake all night greatest hits thingy because it had it on there. And I remember listening to the rest of the songs. I'm like, all right, the, you know, they're 
they're okay. I wasn't an ACDC fan yet, especially I hadn't listened to a lot of the Bon Scott stuff at all yet. So I was like, they're okay. And I had listened to a little bit of Priest. I'm like, eh, okay, I guess they're a little bit of Priest too. But nothing touched that Scream of the Night song. So it just kind of went in the drawer. And I didn't think about Crocus for the longest time. I didn't get to see Crocus until 2015. They were on that first Monsters of Rock cruise I went on. I mean, pretty much their success in America, they're from Switzerland, for those that don't know. Pretty much the only success that they had in the U.S. started with that Screaming in the Night video and Headhunter in general. And then they had a little bit of success with like Midnight Maniac. I saw them on the Headhunter tour. I didn't see them again until they were supporting the Midnight Maniac record. And then I didn't see them again until... 2020 on the monsters of rock cruise that was the last time that i saw them uh so for me it's just been it's been pretty brief and i've kept up some with them but not much after midnight maniac for me i didn't pick back up until really till we started the podcast again uh, and that's when i started picking up with them uh for sure yeah and i had heard midnight maniac and i had heard ballroom blitz because that was out the, mm-hmm. but uh the other song that i like was our love yeah and i think that was on that same album right the blitz no that's not that's not change of address that's on the next album after oh the blitz. is it on the next yeah. album yeah okay yeah and i remember they did schools out because that was big and that was getting played like at shows and stuff right is that on change of address too no that might be a that might be a bonus track on something i don't remember that being on an album oh okay yeah, and for me, after uh, Headhunter, they started kind of going that commercial route. I imagine record companies were trying to get them to come up with a hit or something uh, because Midnight Maniac, to me, was a lot more polished than Headhunter was. And just, I don't know, they didn't, they, they kind of lost it for me. I like that song, Our Love. In fact, that was one of the first songs that I sort of learned the riff to when I was learning how to play guitar because the riff was pretty simplistic so but you know i just basically lost track of them but i've, I've been a fan since since the early shit please make sure you subscribe to our podcast growing up rock and leave us a review on itunes give us a like and leave us a comment on facebook at growing up rock so let's get into this record and talk about some basic facts for it so the record was released April 25th of 1983. The studio it was recorded at is BJ Studios in Orlando, Florida, which is interesting since they were a Swiss band. Length of the record, 37 minutes. The label was Arista. Arista wasn't exactly known for breaking rock and roll acts. And the producer was Tom Allum, who did pretty much most of the Judas Priest stuff that you would know. He was engineer on some of the Black Sabbath stuff. And then he had a career into the 80s with bands like Rough Cut and some other things that he produced. But he's been around for a while. The album is certified gold in the U.S. The band at that time was Mark Storacci on vocals, Fernando Van Arm on lead and rhythm guitar, uh, Mark Kohler on rhythm and lead guitar, Chris Van Roer on bass, and... Steve Pace on drums. This is the only record that features Steve Pace on drums. Additional musicians on this record were Rob Halford backing vocals on Ready to Burn, Jimmy Jameson backing vocals on Screaming in the Night. What's your thoughts on the album cover, Steve Wright? Yeah, it's cool. It's got the uh, the kind of red background, but like black background with the red tint on it with the skull and crossbones. 
pretty uh, basic, but uh, cool, very eye-catching for, you know, a, a teenager in 1983. And, um, I mean, I was looking for it, but that was still one when you picked up, like, whoa, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was exactly it for me. It's very simplistic, but very eye-catching. It's eye-popping, especially for a rock and roll band. Sonny, thoughts on this record album cover? Yeah, the colors absolutely pop. It kind of almost looks like, now in 1983, this probably didn't exist, but it almost looks like the Crocus Headhunter is illuminating off the top of the head, Mm -hmm. like it was some sort of like a movie type thing, like a projection. And then the projection is so bright that it's bouncing off the crossbones on the skull. So you get a little bit of red on the bounce off of the light too, right? So it's done really well. And I don't know if it's a, a prop that's lighted well, or it doesn't look like a drawing. So it looks like a prop, right? Yeah. And there, you know, there wasn't any Photoshopping back in those days either. So that's some, you know, like a pretty cool thing with the lighting and stuff. Cause it looks like it's like a, like a silver reflective skull and crossbones with the red tint on it. Yeah. That's a hundred percent, not a drawing. That's, Definitely yeah. a picture of of a prop of some sort, and maybe they doctored it up with whatever they had available to them at, back then. And I don't, I don't have the uh, inserts or anything handy, but my recollection is is that on the inside sleeve there was a picture of each one of the members of the band, and half the face was skull, and the other half of the face was their normal face. Is that right? Yeah, not only is that right, but for some reason none of them got shirts on. I don't know why. <laughs> why is yeah, that necessary? You can put a shirt on them. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that, those those half skull faces are on the back cover. Yeah. Okay. And the uh, hang on, real quick, I have the album right here. I don't know what's on. Yeah, there. it's an in black, and it's cool that it's in that's in black and white. So they leave the color off of that, which I yeah. thought it was a good idea. Yeah. It's like more yeah. like a negative almost. Yeah, and on the on the inside, all it does on the one side of the insert on the jacket sleeve, it has the. Uh, just the, the song titles, who wrote them, and then on the other side, it has the, the Metal Rendezvous, the hardware, and the One Vice at a Time album pictures, and then just says, like, the photography and everything on the album. So nothing nothing crazy on the inside, no lyrics or nothing. But the, uh, yeah, shirts would be good, fellas, but the half-skull faces are actually kind of cool. Well, I think yeah. in 1983, you're kind of stuck in the middle of that old-school heavy metal coming out of the late 70s. So there's black and white and it's kind of raw, but they're also in 83 starting to cross over to the pretty boy rock, right? Because at this point, Def Leppard's got pyromania out. So things are starting to get, you know, not quite to the glam period yet, but definitely starting to lean a little bit more towards the image side of things, which they didn't have in the late 70s and early 80s, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so side one starts with Headhunter. And uh, <laughs> righty, dude, Mark's screams are absolutely nuts on this song, right? Yeah, yeah, he really goes for it. And the way I really remember this song is when I when I did get to see them in, I think it was 85, they opened up for They Play With Rough Cut and Accept, and they were the headliners at a, at a small theater by us. They closed the show with Headhunter. They came back on with it for the encore. It was the loudest song I'd ever heard played live. But this song is just fantastic. I have memories. I could, I could take it takes me right back to that night. And you got that that double bass intro that you didn't really have a lot of back in 1983. So it was kind of a, a cool beginning. Uh, the the production is fantastic right off the bat. And you know, and they they grab the like the teenage angst if you if you will right off the bat. You know, sex and drugs and rock and roll. That's my cup of tea. The solos are are crazy in it. And when they do that 
at the end of the solo when they go into that um that kind of layered dual guitar kind of thing that they do underneath you get that down 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 like those big chords playing it just sounds fantastic and then when they when it goes back into the chorus you get that insane whammy bar stuff there i just love it it's an absolute killer way to start the album and it kind of just has a build at the end too that just kind of sets the stage for the album fantastically i think Yeah, and Stephen, with the chorus, like if you're going to say one word over and over and over, then you better add some like guitar sounds or some sort of gymnastics with the vocal or some mini riffs. And they did a good job at that. Like they didn't just say Headhunter the same way all four times. And then there was a little guitar noodling in there, which worked for me. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Roddy mentioned it with the double bass kickoff on this song. This kind of back in 83, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff out there, as he said. So this was sort of, I think, a glimpse of maybe what would become in terms of like thrash metal and stuff, because there just wasn't a lot of that kind of stuff going on with uh, hard rock and metal. And uh, this song, man, I, so I got a funny story about this song. The first time I heard this song, I had the cassette of it. I purchased a cassette as I did back in those days because I had a cassette player in my car. I wanted to be able to listen to it, but then I also had a cassette player at home. And at night, I would throw on the headphones and listen to it as I was going to sleep. So I put Headhunter on, and I'm listening to it, and I'm laying in bed, and it has that false ending and it scared the living shit out of me because it ends and then it kicks back in loud as shit. And I almost threw my headphones off because it freaked me out at the time because it was just, 
you know, false start, false stop. It was killing me. Uh, but Headhunter is just just a killer tune. Like you said, Sonny, the guitar, the way that Mark screams differently throughout the song and, you know, adds a little bit of vocal dynamics and uh, acrobatics in there. It's just a great song. I really, really love Headhunters. And to this day, it's still one of my favorite songs. They still do it live. They did it live on the boat. It was great. So next we have Eat the Rich and... Righty, I was listening to this the other day, and I'm like, shit, you, this is straight off Screaming for Vengeance. Straight up. This could be a pre-song. Yeah, definitely. And uh, they have the producer in common, too, for, for this time frame as well. So uh, maybe we get a little uh, a little increased influence there as well. But when you get that, like Steven said, you get that comment, that headhunter. But then it goes down. It, like, it's literally like right into eat the rich mm-hmm. and you get like a little kick in there and it's a it's a fun song it's a it's always great to uh see this song live or have it come up on a playlist it just gets your head going i'm gonna pay the devil's dues because i'm so sick of being abused it's it's a fun song i i love it out of the palace and into the ditch kind of gets you one of those things where um you know the average kid that's listening to metal in 1983 they're not rich so it's kind of like a teenage middle finger to all the rich people out there that you know you can rock and have a good time you don't need to be rich and you know screw all the rich people is pretty much what they're what they're saying it's great solos are fantastic and it's perfect song for the for the second song to be and it's just it's uh fantastic together i mean i just love how it just kicks right into it and it's just a great song Yeah, Stephen, this song has 
Sonny should hate this written all over it. I'm telling you, I couldn't because Mark's just too good. Dude, Mark can pretty much sell any of this stuff because sometimes this, what do you want to call it, power metal or new wave or British heavy metal or this ship that you guys absolutely love has a singer that I cannot tolerate. And Mark is more Bon Scott-like. Mm-hmm. So I can absolutely listen to it. And I'm like, I should be hating this song. Why don't I hate this? And it, it's all Mark for me. Yeah. I mean, this song, like uh, Steve said, it, it flows perfectly from Headhunter into Eat the Rich. And I love the riff in this thing. And the 15, 16-year-old Steven, I mean, she's no lady. She's a bitch. That's awesome i mean this is awesome rock and roll for the time i absolutely love this song i love the riff i love the melody i love the lyrics there's nothing about eat the rich that i don't love as a 15 16 year old kid that's wanting rock and roll and so far for me the record just is flowing uh really nicely uh with the opening track being headhunter and just kind of kicking you in the teeth and uh then you change up the tempo slightly but don't really lose any of that that power you don't lose the uh flow of the record it's just it's rocking and it's rolling so i dig it dig eat the rich so then we get to my introduction screaming in the night okay let me get this out of the way the song is long Okay, the song, the radio edit takes about two and a half minutes out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that radio edit makes it pretty good. And I think that's what MTV was using too, but I'm not super positive on that. But man, the chorus on this song is absolutely awesome. And Mark with Jimmy Jameson singing back in vocals, that third voice that they create is absolutely magic. So I'm going to give the credit to Tom because I'm thinking he's looking at this thing going, this thing is a huge hit written all over it. We can't have some bonehead doing the backing vocals. Like, this has got, this could be a crossover hit. Like, we got to get a real guy now. Like, this is serious now, guys. Right? And there's just something magical about those two voices together. I have never skipped this song, and I will never skip this song. Love it, love it, love it.
Righty, I, I'm assuming you like this song. Yeah, this is a fantastic song. And it kind of gives gives you a little breathing space between the first two songs that kick you right in the balls. But it fits. And Mark's voice is absolutely fantastic in there. And the chorus is absolutely stellar. I like this one, too, because it has kind of a build to it as well. And I love when you have that in a song. And the solo is short, but it's really tasteful. It's not, you know, you know, going crazy. Totally serves the song. And there's a, a local band we used to see all the time. We got to be friends with the guys in the band, band called Harpo. This was like their, you know, if you want to say ballad that they played. And like, we would go nuts. And like, you know, how many bands, you know, have you gone out to see in clubs and played like a Crocus song, like any Crocus song? But even this song, absolutely fantastic. This has made, actually most of this album, but this this one in particular, with the along with the first two, has made like dozens and dozens of playlists of mine over the years. And you, you, this is a ne- never a skipper for me as well. Yes, Stephen, I'm telling you, and I get it, Pyromania is coming out at the same time. These guys hand this song to Def Leppard, and it lands on Pyromania with Joe Elliott singing it. Uh, You're talking top 20 hit here. Yeah, so this would be a song that most would expect that I didn't like just because it's so much of a slower tune than the other two that kicked off the record. But I'm like you, Sonny. I never skip this thing. It's the closest thing that you're going to get to a ballad on this record. It's in no way, shape, or form a ballad. Don't get me wrong. But it's just a great, Steve Wright said it, it's a great breathing moment in between these first two songs and the side one closer. It's perfectly placed. I really, really miss the days of albums like this. 37 minutes in and out. Four songs basically on each side, and that's it. To me, that's just perfection. And it's sorely missed uh, these days. It really is. Albums are bloated and way, way too long. And usually we've talked about it before. There's three, four, five, even five songs that we say, you know, you could have cut these five songs and it would have been a better album. With this, it's perfect. Screaming in the Night is obviously a hit. So anybody could hear that and it ended up being a hit for them and breaking them in the U.S. And uh, yeah, it's just a great tune. Yeah. And, and really, the son, you mentioned the, uh, the length of this song that it's long. And it's, it's just that intro, that build at the beginning. You get that and you get that fade. And that's, I think that's where you get the big part that you could chop off of this song, which, you know, I don't miss it because they don't, you know, they do kind of it when they do it live. But I mean, I could live without it, but this, the song proper is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So then we get to the last song on side one, Ready to Burn. And writing, you get more of an ACDC straight riff here. I mean, this has got Bon Scott written all over it. Although I can tell you, I'm starting to really, really love Bon Scott, but there ain't no goddamn way he could have pulled off Screaming in the Night. <laughs> right? So no, no. Ready to Burn is more ACDC straight ahead. Pretty good, right? Yeah. I actually, you like this song? I like the song. Really? I, I thought you were going to hate this one. I put this song rips. I know Sonny's going to hate this one. <laughs> yeah, this this song for me is more of a priest feel than an ACDC. It doesn't have that groove like ACDC. Well, and the reason that I thought that Sonny would hate it is because I get a Saxon hit off of this. Because mm-hmm. Saxon usually will have that one uh, one or two like really fast songs that are about speed or motorcycles or driving or something like that. And that's the hit that I get off of this song. But the song just, it rips. There's great leads between the verses. And what I like about this song too, is you don't get that crazy solo. You get more of a rock and roll type solo in this one. And uh, it's not crazy, but it, it it's another one that fits the song. It's a, it's a fun listen. And at the end, I like you get the hit the road, Jack. <laughs> 
Steven, the part that I don't like about the song, though, is that weird ha-ha-ha-ha, you know, that stupid ha-ha-ha thing he's doing. And I will tell you <laughs> that, you, uh, Stephen, you mentioned it earlier. I listened to some old Crocus earlier this week, and it was almost more prod rocky and then kind of weird stuff. And yeah, the, the first time stuff. that you hear a little bit of the weird stuff is in this song. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it many times before. A lot of these bands that have sort of long careers that uh, started, you know, in the 70s and ended up with careers in the 80s, their earlier stuff is a tough listen. And although Crocus is not as bad as some of the other bands that we've we've ventured out to uh, talk about, I'm with you. I mean some of that stuff didn't hit home with me. I mean, there's some s- decent stuff on Mediwani Vu and hardware, but all in all, they're not albums that I go back to often. Uh, I, I'll go to, you know, one vice at a time, Headhunter and, um, and beyond, but I usually don't venture further back than one vice at a time. Ready to burn has that, uh, you know, like Steve said, it has that new wave of British heavy metal, that Saxon, that Judas Priest feel. It's just a straight ahead rocker. I think the course kind of sucks, but honestly, when I'm starting to break down stuff like this with bands like Crocus, it doesn't necessarily matter to me as much. The song makes me happy. They're just kind of, uh, flat out rockers. You know, I don't, I don't critique the songwriting and the bridge and the, and the chorus and the hook and all that stuff quite as much with bands like this. And, uh, if Ready to Burn was a song that was being done by, let's say, Bon Jovi or Heat or Eclipse, I would be like, ah, where's the hook? Where's the, you know, you got to have a better course, things like that. But with bands like uh, Crocus, it just doesn't matter to me as much. And for whatever reason, I just enjoy it straight ahead. I mean, Side One for me is freaking great. I love it. And I went back to listen to this record today. And I haven't listened to this record from start to finish until more recently. But uh, when I went back to listen to this record, I kind of expected that it wasn't going to age as well. And I was completely wrong. Like, I, I really enjoyed Side One, even the the deeper tracks like Ready to Burn. I was like, yeah, I, I dig this. It's, it's good with me. So, yeah, this is great Side One.
All right. So getting to side two, we get with Nightwolf. And <laughs> I read somewhere that this, uh, I don't remember what review I was reading, but the person said this sounds like accept. All right, look, I'm going to tell you, Udo may be able to pull off Nightwolf, Eat the Rich, and maybe Headhunter. Dude, Udo singing Scream in the Night, I'd shoot myself in the head three times. This is not except to me. And that's it's got to be Mark. That's the difference to me anyway. But, dude, the great idea to start out with a howl. And uh, I love it when, like, in 43 seconds, man, it kicks in, and that chorus is pretty damn good, Brady. Yeah, this is a, I, I enjoy this one. Great way to open up side two, especially after ready to burn on side one. Um, you get that little echoing thing there in the beginning. But, like, when that main riff gets going, it just really punches you in the face. Um, the lyrics are a little goofy, but, hey, we're not, you know, Pink Floyd or Queens right here. It's Crocus. Come on, people. They have a song called Mr. 69. So, you know, when they're looking for some tushy here, you can kind of see where that's going to come from. But the production comes in great on this song, too, for the solo with your headphones on. This is like swirling in your head back and forth like you would get like in a, I don't know, like a like a Led Zeppelin song that's actually good. But you get that cool effect in the headphones. Great, great start to side two. And Steven, uh, <laughs> I want to feel, I want to touch and not just some hoochie coochie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this metal Hollywood thing, I'm assuming this movie wasn't as big as heavy metal because I've never even heard of this animated movie. Yeah, ditto. Never heard of it. <laughs> Never heard it? of that. And Crocus really, really loves the term hoochie coochie because <laughs> they would go on to use that many, many more times. And in fact, like they have songs that are called that at some point. But yeah, I mean, look, you've talked about it already. Mark Storacci, I think, is a much better singer than people probably give him credit for being. And he comes from a musical family. His whole family are musicians and singers. So he has a good pedigree. Uh, he just doesn't, you know, I don't think he gets a bunch of respect. Uh, and I just think he's probably an underrated uh, singer, especially on a record like this. But, you know, Nightwolf is just, it's another rocker of a tune. And it's a good start to side two. I mean, there's, I don't have any, any uh, hate for it. I like it. So it's good. All right, so then we get to a song called Stayed Awake All Night, which is a BTO cover. And, uh, well, let me start with Stephen. How many unique words do you think the lyrics of the song has? <laughs> Give uh, me a number. Four, because it's stay awake all night, <laughs> stay awake all night. So uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, no, give me a real guess. Okay. I don't know. Let me go with eight. Uh, righty. I'm going to go with 14. It's technically 25. <laughs> so... The unique words in this song are in the cool of the morning. That's when I'm coming home, stayed awake all night long, evening hitched up and ready to ride. Going to take.
and somehow this boring ass song still takes four minutes and 41 seconds and righty you know what the craziest part is this dumbass shitty song is still better than the bto version <laughs> actually i listened to the bto version today uh, for the first time ever which which i have no idea why i never went back and checked it out it wasn't as bad as i thought it was going to be i love this song when i saw them live that first time actually both times i saw them live they played this song I like it. I don't mind. I don't mind longer songs. I I, I love the new Iron Maiden album with the ten to twelve minute songs, but this is a little long for this album. I, I do get that with that drum part in the middle. They would stretch that out even longer live because they would have a a set of tom toms on the side of the stage, and Mark would do a, a drum part with the drummer when they would do it live, so it would be even longer live. But I do like this one. I like the groove in it. It's it's a fun song. That uh, that melody part is just. It's catchy, and I really, I really enjoy the song. Steven, that that breakdown in the middle—they're trying to be Zeppelin or whatever—complete waste of fucking time. I gave Tom credit earlier. I blame Tom for this. This had to be Tom's. Like, I cannot blame one of the band members for coming up with this shitty idea. All right, so where do I start with this song? First of all, I'm gonna side with Steve Wright. I absolutely love this song. Oh my god! This song <laughs> makes me happy. I love the call and response of this song. I love the "Stay awake all night, stay awake all There's, night, stay that's awake not call all and night." Response? Yeah, that's hello, it, no, hello, hello. It's hello. great. It's that's not a call and response. It is a call and response. It's fun. It's a fun song. Now, I'll be honest. I had no idea this was a cover. I had no idea it was a BTO song. Because, well, one, I'm not a huge BTO fan, so I don't know a ton about them. I did also go and listen to the BTO version today, and it's pretty close, right? I mean, the only difference is the actual recording because more modern versus older recording. So it's, it's a very close cover. And I just think it's a fun song. I mean, yeah, there's not a lot of words. And by the way, Righty, I'll just warn you right now, that's gonna become some sort of trivia question in one of Hollywood's crazy ass game shows at some point, how many words are in Crocus's version of stay awake all night? Mark my damn words right now. That's going to become a question. So yeah, I like this song. It just makes me happy. There's no reason to explain it. I like the call and response. It's a simple riff. It's a simple song. Uh, Yeah. There's nothing, nothing to hate on uh, about this song for me personally. Call response is hello, goodbye. Hello, goodbye. The singer is saying one thing, the band is answering back. And the same thing. Uh, whatever. Oh, good Lord. Whatever. <laughs> what what, what do you want to call it? All right. We'll, we'll make you happy if you call it the, an echo. Yeah, it's a, a repeat echo of something shitty. Yeah, that's what I want to call it. Stop. <laughs> sunny, right. sunny, idiot, the, the, idiot, sunny, the, sunny. The, Idiot, idiot. At least you changed it. They said the sunny, 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 sunny eight times. Once is too many. (laughs) All right. Let's get to stand and be counted. At least we get back to real crocus here. Love the groove. And I got to say, you know, if they were trying to be priest-esque in some of the guitar solos and the dueling stuff, they did a good job of fitting the song and not being... You know, or trying to be, I guess, the Ingves of the world. And well, I guess you would Ingves. Well, Ingves has kind of hit the scene at this point, but not really. I guess they've kind of heard of them, but you know what I'm talking about. They don't just get too long in the two. So even the guitar solos, like this song's beautiful, righty? Yeah, they're they're tasteful. They are. There's a lot of tasteful uh, solos on this album, and and this one I think is, has more of a mainstream or commercial feel to it for me. 
I would say it's probably just in the chorus for me. But the, uh, I mean, you still have that good guitar tone that you've had throughout the rest of the album. I like the the musical parts of this song. I don't like the I don't like the feel of the verses, and I don't like the feel of the chorus. But I, I don't hate the song because the I think the music in it, when there's no one singing, whether it be Mark or or background vocals for the chorus, um, I, I think it's worth it. And and like you said, the the solo's killer. The band underneath is is fantastic, which is something I always listen for. But just not a favorite for me. It's just I I, I don't like the chorus. It's it just I don't like this type of of chorus. The the kind of uh, stand up or you know kumbaya type shit that i kind of equate with with this type of course but musically it's great vocally i mean the vocals are great but just i don't like the the verses and i don't like the chorus but musically i like it Stephen Stan to be counted kind of the title kind of feels like what they were trying to say got a little bit lost in translation for maybe Swiss to English. I'm not sure, but dude, Mark is absolutely selling the song for me. I don't know. I like, this is one of those, um, there's probably about three or four deeper cut songs on this record. I would consider deeper cut songs on this record that I really enjoy. And standard be counted is one of them. You know, I just, I dig it. It's a simple riff, but this record for me lives somewhere in between ACDC and Priest, which is a great place to be when you're 15 and 16, Stephen, because that was my, my bang zone to rock and roll at that time. So this record, just at this point, this record's really working for me and it's almost over.
and then we get to the second to last song, White Din. And uh, Righty, here's what I'm going to say about this. 109 seconds of complete fucking noise for no fucking reason. Who comes up with these ideas and why are they still employed? I blame Tom. Tom tells whoever he's got to tell that wants this on this record, shut the fuck up. It ain't going on the record. Waste of time. I, and I hate this shit. I, I you know <laughs> I hate intros. Um, let me look at the, let's see who got, Fernando Van Arp and Chris Van Roer got um, writing yeah, credit for Big this. surprise. How the fuck do you write? How do you write that? You know what I mean? How do you? How do you want to put your name on that? Number one, it is. It's a. It's. It's a fucking waste of time. I totally, for once, agree with you one thousand percent. It's boring. I don't even count it as a song. So when we do top and bottom, that's automatically chopped off. Is it? Is it something in there just to make the album a little longer? I'd rather a minute nine seconds of fucking silence. <laughs> Steven. To me, it just shows, it does nothing to show your talent, nothing to show your creativity. It's just stupid. Yeah, it's really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't, I really don't get this at all. If you have a minute and 50 seconds and you're given the opportunity to solo and show off your musicianship, then do that. But to do a minute and 50 of just noise and you and I both know, like Eddie Van Halen is guilty of this. Oh, hell yeah. 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 Dropping paper clips and shit. It's stupid. Yeah. So I don't, I just don't really get it at all. I mean, the only thing I can say is you got some extra time on the tape and you want to fill it up and you don't have enough time to do a song. Although I would challenge you because there are almost two minute songs that are pretty good out there. So I don't know. Talk. Red, do something. Yeah, it doesn't add anything to Russian Winter, which is the song coming up. So if it's, I assume that because it's called White Den, it's a intro to Russian Winter, even though it's not presented in that way, but it adds nothing to the song. So I don't get it. It is just, it's a waste for me. So note to Mark and Tom and whoever may be listening, and if you care at all, instead, at the end of Russian Winter, get on. And talk to the listener and say, look, we were thinking about doing this shitty 109 seconds of noise, but instead we want to thank you for buying the album and we love you and see you on the road. And that's it. I would take that any day. <laughs> right. So get white din out of our heads and we end the album with the Russian winner and righty to me. This is what Iron Maiden would sound like if Von Scott was their singer. I don't disagree with that. I never thought of that, but uh, I, I could see that. Good, it's a good D track, not a standout, but it's a solid metal song. Um, I like the run for your life. Definitely is cool. The chorus is melodic. The solo is excellent. It's a, it's a, it's a good album ender. I just, the, the fade out guys, like just, I am not a huge fan of albums fading out. Like just like hard stop. I, I would rather on an album, but, um, and this is one that, that I kind of forgot about, you know, when you listen to Crocus, even like you said, you got that state awake all night, that, you know, compilation you got, and I'm sure, Russian winners not and stand and be counted or not on there. I'm sure you got, you know, eat the rich and stayed awake all night and probably headhunter on that, on that compilation, but this song's no slouch either. I, I think it's good. It's a, it's a good ending to the album.
Stephen, one thing about Mark, though, like when he's, you know, holding a, an O or an A ah, and he does some runs in there, beautiful. When he does this, or the ha ha, it's like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> right? So I, somebody has to control this dude. <laughs> he's got to change it up, man. <laughs> he, he's experimenting. I don't know. Russian winner, it's okay for me. I mean, you know, at least they didn't end on just a, a dull note or a slow note that could have taken an easy way out. At least they didn't end with white din. <laughs> you know, so, uh, so I mean, look, it, it's another rocker. Yeah, I mean, I don't, like Roddy said, I think that this is sort of the forgotten song and maybe it's it's because it's at the end of the record or maybe it's just doesn't stand up to the rest of the stuff on the record. So uh, it's forgotten in that manner. But I don't have a lot of love for Russian Winter, but I don't even, I don't have hate for it either. So, yeah, I think it's because the shitty song in front of it and people give up and forget Russian Winter is there. And I can tell you why they didn't close the album with White Din, because Roar and Arv were worried that people pick up the needle and put something else on after Russian Winter. That's why. Okay, but with that logic, then wouldn't we think Russian Winter is the best shit we've ever heard? Because after White <laughs> Den, we're like, God damn, this is the best song I've ever heard. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> all right, so that ends the album. I want to get everybody's top two, bottom twos. I'll start bottom twos easy, and I am counting White Den because those fuckers put it on there. So White Den and whoever decided to put stayed awake all night on this album should get fired and top two slam dunk screaming in the night and slam dunk headhunter dude to start the album with headhunter to punch you in the head and i can imagine somebody's 13 14 years old hearing that wow just uh, amazing righty how about you all right uh, bottom two since you uh, it is on the album i will absolute worst hands down white din senseless absolutely senseless and um I'm just going to go stand to be counted. Like I said, I like it, but it's it's not a favorite. I just don't like the chorus on it. Top two is tough. Um, absolutely had Hunter. Love that song. And I'm going to go with Eat the Rich. I just, there are two songs that I find hard to separate to. The, the segue, it's not even a segue. It's just boom, boom. It's just like one ends, one just begins. And Eat the Rich is just a fun song. And if I had to go three, Sonny, Stayed Awake All Night would be there. So fuck you. Ugh, whatever. <laughs> Steven, that's why we don't go three. <laughs> <laughs> bottom two for me is white den and russian winter and uh top two for me is going to be headhunter and eat the rich just love it all right so before we end the episode and get a little summary going let's connect it to kiss you wanted the best and you got the best the hottest band in the world kiss it's time for your Historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So since we're talking about 1983 on this series that we're going to be doing, most of the historic moments are going to be connected to Kiss's 1983 release, Lick It Up. So for this episode, we're going to go with a cover of a very interesting song to begin with. It was on 2002's Unpainted A Tribute to Kiss was released on Shark Bite Records. The band is called Pale Blue Dot. I know nothing about this band, except for that the vocals are done by a person named Helena McLeod and Darren Baxter. So that's their two voices collectively that you hear. And then Darren Baxter does everything else on the recording. So here is their very unique and interesting version 
of dance all over your face.
righty had you ever heard that before? No, I haven't. Uh, and I never heard of, what is it, Pink Blue Dot, or what's the name Pale, of it? Pale, Pale Blue Dot. Pale Blue Dot. Never heard of it. And um, I like it. It's actually, it's it's pretty cool. Although I was, at the very beginning of it, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Because the very beginning, that did you do that plinky stuff at the beginning? Yeah. Just reminds me of Women in Love from Van Halen 2. And I absolutely fucking hate that song. <laughs> I knew it. I'm thinking, <laughs> don't even tell me that this is going to be like Women in Love from Van Halen. But it, thank God it's not. And um, I think it's pretty cool. But I do find it interesting that they go, uh, do you think of this? They don't go, bitch. Yeah, of course Other, than, other than that, it, it's, a, it's a pretty solid version. It, it's cool to hear something different, like a kind of a different arrangement in it. But it, in the same vein, it stays true to the song. I, I think it was pretty cool. Yeah, Stephen, to me, it almost had like an R&B flavor. Like Prince wrote it and like handed it to Morris Day and said, here, you record it and see what comes. I really like it. Yeah, so you know me, when you're doing these Kiss covers, I really like the left-of-center arrangements of some of these songs. For whatever reason, I did not love this. Really? Uh, yeah, and I don't know what it was. And and look, I only listened to it once, so just being transparent and honest about it. Part of the problem is, is that I don't know this song that well. So, you know, Dance All Over Your Face is not one of the bright and shining stars, I think, on Lick It Up, but... Dance All Over Your Face is just an interesting song from start to finish to begin with. Dance All Over Your Face could be a violent thing or it could be a sexual thing, the term. Which way do you think Gene meant it? It's Gene. What do you think he meant? Yeah, if you had to to guess. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. I guess when you put it that way, yeah, that makes sense. All right. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It just didn't, I didn't love it. Uh, I just thought it was a little weird. And then I went and listened to some of the other tunes on this record. And there's a lot of weird versions on this record. There's a couple of straight ahead ones, but, and the song selection on this record is interesting as well, but it is all, uh, unmasked era tunes. So I didn't love this version. What's the name of that album again? 2002, an unpainted tribute to kiss. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's on Spotify and probably on Apple Music. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So to wrap up the episode, you know, we're going to do this 1983 40th anniversary albums. You know, starting with Crocus, I was giving these two guys grief that this album absolutely sucks. This album does not suck. This album is great. And for something that touches kind of new wave of British heavy metal, you are probably right at the line for me. I like this. I think you step one more step. And it's fucking accepting Saxon. I don't like it anymore. So it's like right on the line, just like Metallica with thrash. It's like right on the line. I can enjoy it. Minute you get to Megadeth, I'm out. <laughs> so kind of the same thing. And, uh, I enjoyed this record and I will tell you, it was the first time I heard it from start to finish. And I was like, damn, Mark is pretty good. You know, he can scream. He can party. He can, you know, do a little bit slower. This is kind of nice, but I think it has to do with, I'm getting into Bon Scott. And he's reminding me of that. And uh, it's just hitting my ear good. Righty, overall, I'm sure you love this album. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a staple in my listening since 1983. This is one that I will pretty much throw on a couple times a year, getting the crocus mood, or if I'm in the car and I hear them come on Ozzy's Boneyard, or which sometimes on Hair Nation, which I don't know why. but And then they'll kind of pique my interest. Oh, you know what? I haven't heard them guys for a while, so I'll, I'll come in and I'll throw either 
had Hunter on or the the Blitz or something like that. So I've always enjoyed these guys and still enjoying them now. Because I, I think when we saw them on, on the Monsters of Rock Cruise, wasn't, that was supposed to be their final shows, right? There were some of their final shows. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're technically they're retired. But I know that uh, Mark put out a solo album last year and it was actually not bad. Oh, yeah, he's he's still out there doing it, and he doesn't want to retire. I think it's just a, a couple in the band that are not loving it, and maybe, you know, Mark doesn't own the name, I guess, so he can't really go out as Crocus by himself. But, yeah, I heard that record was good, his solo record that he put out, but I, I actually haven't heard any of it uh, yet, so I'll have to dig that out and check it out. But as we go through this year and this album series i'll say up front that there were a lot of great records that were released in 1983 so a lot of records this year that are celebrating their 40th anniversary we kind of stayed away from a few of the more obvious not that we're not doing any popular records but uh we stayed away from a lot of things and some we've already done i think pyromania came out in 83 we've already done that as part of the def leopard series so there's no point in covering that again so we picked some records that one of the other of us likes, like I said, we're going to get the listeners involved and they're going to pick a couple of the records as well, but there's rock and roll, there's metal, there's hard rock and there's pop in this series. So, uh, I think it's going to be a great variety. I think people will get a good dose of different stuff and hopefully overall you guys will tune in each uh, month and, and check it out and enjoy what we're dishing up. But, uh, Steve Wright, you're our first guest for this Crocus album. So thanks so much for coming on and kicking off this album series for us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. And um, thanks for thinking of me to do this. And I can't wait to hear what other albums you guys are going to do throughout the year. And and I honestly do not remember which album Sonny threw out to me. I think he threw four albums out to me to choose from. And I immediately saw Crocus. And I, I, I honest, honestly could not tell you what the other three were. So I'm, I'm you know... Really looking forward to hearing what you guys have coming up and, and who you're going to have on as well and which um, ones you're going to put out for a poll. So I will definitely be voting in that and sharing it. And once again, thanks for having me on. Yeah, and we'll make sure that you sign the NDA so you can't uh, expose the other albums, even if you could remember them. <laughs> fax it to me. <laughs> you, won't be, you won't be able to figure out how to run the facts, man. Jesus. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Wright over at the Potter and Hell podcast. Each week they release their episodes on Friday afternoon. So check out the Potter and Hell podcast. They're hard rock and heavy metal, just like us for the most part. So you guys will enjoy their show as well. Steve Wright, we appreciate you coming on. Sonny Pooney, do you have anything to add before we get up on out of here? Thanks for listening. And when the vote goes out, make sure to vote. That's record one in the books for January. Crocus's Headhunter. Go check it out. It's a great album. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.